This episode of AVXL is recorded on September 10th, 2020. We're going to talk about moving your giant TV without breaking it, new projectors from Sony, and yes, the Xbox Series 10 will play Blu-rays. Y'all sent us some Atmos questions, and there's quite a bit more. Don't forget, ask at avxl.com if you got a question for us. Testing, one, two, three. All right, I'm not blowing anything out. Ignorant weasels chewing on your soul. Ignorant weasels. Do you have speed? Yeah. Well, Navy Excel, your guide to the best in home video and audio gear, no matter what your budget is. I'm Patrick Norton. Hey, I am Robert Heron. And there is so much to talk about. First of all, though, Robert, how many days has it been since you last seen the sun? Uh, so far, two days in a row. But the day before that, the sun simply went orange and disappeared into the clouds. So almost <laughs> almost three days now. And a steady, nice, beautiful coating of ash over everything. Definitely dangerous weather as far as air quality goes, let alone forest fires up and down the West Coast. It's uh, it's a hellscape. Uh, it, it's pretty interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I have become more appreciative of cabin air filters in vehicles. Oh, my goodness. If you can locate it within your car, do this once and you'll find it's really not a hard thing to swap out yourself. In most of the cars I look at, they're usually hidden behind a glove box. I picked up some uh, replacements online that had some activated charcoal carbon in them. And I have just come to appreciate that little bit of extra something when you've got on 100% full in-cabin recirculation, blowing it as hard as possible. And the outside of your vehicle is covered in just, uh, I, I don't even know what this ash is made of. It's ash. It, but where what it was <laughs> i'm not sure it all looks uh yeah it looks pretty bleak yeah although a friend of ours just posted a video on youtube or not youtube on vimeo that did a really good job of making uh almost a cool short movie about just yesterday in terms of how the skies were looking. Everything was freaking orange. Right. And he uh, he and she, I believe his project partner, put together this nice five-minute clip with some really cool background music. And as crazy as it looked, I appreciated that. And if you have a chance or an MLB TV subscription, just go look at yesterday's Oakland A's <laughs> game and how crazy that looked. There's a weird thing, too, like there are certain color combinations that work well together, like turquoise mm -hmm. and orange in particular, or blues and orange is one of those <laughs> color combos. So when the sky is orange, anything that is blue or, or even, turquoise, <laughs> it, suddenly those colors pop even more. So things like the slightly high temperature color headlights you see on vehicles right. or just everything. Colors just took on a whole interesting oddness to it that reminded me that the environment, it has great influence over your perception of color. The surrounding colors really play into how you perceive color in general two thoughts into that if you've seen blade runner 2049 you have roughly the idea of what the sky looks like where robert is in northern california right now the ground level air quality visually you can see but the sky itself has that crazy brown and orange thing going on uh, to amplify what robert said about your room environment one of the issues you can have for example if you're using a projector and you're doing hdr and you have a projector that can kit you know that that is is delivering really serious black levels and high contrast if you put that projector in a room with all white walls or, and a white ceiling you are actually diminishing the experience because of all the reflected light off of the white walls and the ceiling conversely if you have a room that is neon green pink you know super deep red various colors actually the room colors will reflect and impact the images that are on the screen which is one fresh layer of hell 
every time you are setting up a television. Or if somebody paints a room, I can totally see Robert getting a call being like, you know, my projector looks too blah now. And, uh, you know, having to compensate for the reflected light and how it is changed by the color of the wall it is reflected off of. We are funny creatures. I'm going to paint the entire basement flat black just to really piss off my family. (laughs) (laughs) I've been in rooms like that. Yeah. I, uh... My mind quickly turns to dark subjects. <laughs> it's like, hey, wait, what goes on in this room? <laughs> Have you seen that movie Seven? It's not like that at all. Oh. Um, it's convenient. Oh, but my goodness. Good golly. <laughs> convenient, but terrifying. Something that has Robert incredibly amped because of his 10,000 lumen screen experience at CES a couple of years ago is that uh, Sony has a new projector that, well, uh, they're claiming, is this legit a 10,000 lumen projector? They announced a trio of new projectors. John Archer over at Forbes Magazine, or Online Experience, had a chance to preview these, and he gave a quick write-up of his initial impressions at the Sony event. There are three models coming out this month, and I believe early next month. The 715ES and the 915ES, and then this new super lusty super bright GTZ 380 projector. For the 715, they're looking at about a $10,000 price tag. Definitely some coin. That is still lamp-based. While the other two, the 915 and the GTZ 380, are both using laser-based lamp systems. Cool thing for me is that all three of these new projectors are going to be 100% DCI-P3 color compatible. At least that's what they're claiming. They're also adding the X1 processor for projectors. For the last couple of years, Sony's premium TVs have used a new chip to improve image quality, including things like scaling, noise reduction, and that TV technology has now been leveraged for these new projectors. One of the cool features of the new system for their projectors is something called the Digital Focus Optimizer, and they're borrowing this from some of their short throw designs, and I've seen this with other projectors. It's usually a rather difficult way of when you get perfect focus right in the middle of the screen, which is usually where you want to optimize for, you may find that because of lens distortions or the setup or something that around the borders of the screen might not be as crystal clear. And this allows you then to go through and fully get that as tight and consistent looking as possible. And that I I thought was pretty cool. Now for the GTZ 380, this 10,000 lumen projector, you can't directly compare that to something like the 10,000 nit LCD demo that Sony showed off a couple years back at CES. However, this is literally three, four times the brightness of most projectors out there right now. And it incorporates a red laser in addition to the blue lasers that are typically used. With most laser-based projectors, they are shining a blue laser through a partially phosphored wheel to generate the yellows that are then usually broken up into greens and reds. This has that dedicated red laser. So it should, in terms of being able to deliver that 100% DCI-P3, it's got a native red and blue laser, and that's, I believe, would be well optimized for the color points there, and then using the phosphor wheel to generate the green from that point. I think these are just going to be fantastic. Apparently, Sony has gone to great lengths in a, to make this X1 processor also enhance the imagery for your HDR content to be able to... I'd be curious to know some of the back end in terms of how exactly they're doing this, but to really tame black levels to get that punch that you really want on... HDR programming while still maintaining excellent brightness. So, 
Yes, it's probably using something along the lines of polarized light as well for even better optimized and contrasty imagery. This is just something pretty wild. Granted, the uh, 715ES I said was $10,000. The 915ES jumps it up to 20 grand as a laser-based projector. And then they haven't really even announced uh, US pricing yet for the, <laughs> the GTZ 380. Judging by what they're talking about for European pricing, it's looking to be about $95,000. Oh, well. Yeah, that's it. But still, we are slowly getting closer to true RGB projector technology. And this is one more step in that direction. Compare some of the high-end RGB projectors out there used in commercial cinema. And mm -hmm. that's like a third of the price. So, yeah, it is expensive, no doubt. But compared to what came before it, it's moving in the right direction for all of us. And we should point out, like, the 10K Lumen demo that we saw at CES a couple of years ago. 10K was... Knit. <laughs> it's even Knit. crazier. Sorry. <laughs> it can't compare yeah. Knits and uh, Lumens directly, unfortunately. I, I, I apologize. I, I have I, a... Uh, conversion table correct. here somewhere i could look it up real quick but <laughs> well before we convert it though but but that was a relatively small or home cinema size screen we saw at ces you're talking about big screens for the gtc 380 like 20 foot screens exactly and that that's okay. where you do need light like this for not your 100 inch 200 300 inch screens but truly something that is in a large room where you're talking yeah like you said 20, 25 foot, or perhaps even larger if the light control in the room is appropriate. But this at least, or you know what? I would love to see this on a 200 inch screen in a well-lit room. <laughs> it would probably still look fantastic. And that is the kind of thing you can do with having light output like that. Or consider how they do it with other setups where you need absolute brightness out of a projection system. Mm -hmm. They simply stack multiple units on top of each other. This is uh, trying to do it all with one box. And you can hit up the Sony website if you want to take a look at some of the specs and features of the new projectors. And I'm, I'm just happy. Happy to see some really high-end stuff, or medium to high-end stuff, <laughs> popping up <laughs> from the good folks at Sony. We should point out, like, we've seen Digital Projection, the company, at Cedia with half-million-dollar projectors. Also, I, I, you know, to, to borrow Robert's phrase, uh, utterly lustworthy. Uh, but the nice thing is, you know, once they do it for a half million dollars, or in this case, $100,000, it will begin trickling its way into a more affordable price range. It's less than <laughs> half the cost. <laughs> it's still more than you'll ever spend for a car, but... All right. Ah, there are Teslas well over 100000 <laughs> Switching gears slightly, Xbox Series X, Xbox Series 10, I don't care what you call it, uh, November 10th for $499, and the Series S is going to be $299, shipping the same day. Why do you care about this? Well, better graphics for gaming, and of course the Series X is going to have a Blu-ray drive inside of it. We expect Blu-ray and 4K UHD playback on that. Both the Series X and Series S should support streaming 4K and Dolby Vision HDR at launch, uh, at least on Disney Plus, Netflix, and Vudu. Dolby Vision for games is going to be an update coming in 2021. 
These are enormously similar, but the Series S is half the size and skips the Blu-ray player, drops down to a half terabyte of storage, and is, quote, targeting 1440p instead of 4K. The idea is that you will get 120 frames per second at 1440p out of the Series S, and, and that will be upscaled for your television or your monitor. You know, the, the biggest difference between these two, other than the, the capacity and storage, is there's uh, 20 CUs in the RDNA 2 GPU compared to 52. Uh, also faster CUs in the Series 10. Either way, this should be an interesting platform to stream 4K video or watch Blu-rays or 4K UHD Blu-rays. Uh, of course, everything's flexible until the box actually ships in November. Pre-orders start September 22nd, but Dolby Vision on games on an or on Xbox games, uh, that will be sweet at the resolutions they're talking uh, about this if, if you have curious. the screen. I can't yeah. believe that a next-gen console can truly push uh, like 120 plus frames per second at 1440p. Wow. I have my doubts. Unless you're talking about like zero polygon count or three polygons or something like that. There are that. lies, damn lies, and console stats. Let's just leave it at that. I could and, see them uh, simply doing 1080p <laughs> internal processing and then upscaling sure. that to whatever resolution just to hit those yeah. frame rates. I am more on the PC gaming side of things. I do appreciate the fact that at least with the Series X, you'll have Blu-ray playback right built in, even though I yeah. we, I might be a dying breed on this, but I do love those discs and I love high bitrate content. And it generally is the best quality we have today mm -hmm. for anything you want to watch. I would concur. And uh, I don't know. We'll see, especially with uh, Disney buying Fox. It's going to be interesting to see what the availability on Blu-ray discs and uh, 4K UHD discs are in the future. There's been a whole foo about that that is so vague and so poorly documented. I'm not even going to get into it here on AVXL. But uh, there's been sort of a, Disney's never going to release high-end discs again. And then people who have, have dealt with Disney titles forever being like disney likes to only release them during certain windows to maximize profitability over time and i just don't want to deal with it right now <laughs> i understand pretty good deal on the oled tvs uh, although both robert and i would highly recommend that you buy the blu-ray or the 4k uhd if you're in the 4k universe when you can because to awesome and to having it in uh, your library is a good thing. Um, Sony uh, Sony's 55-inch A8H Bravia OLED TVs uh, smoking deal right now. Fifteen hundred dollars. Usually they sell for nineteen hundred dollars. And uh, that's fantastic. That's Amazon and Best Buy. Yeah, it is. That's very close to what the low price is for something like a LG C10 right now. Yeah. And the main difference I see between a Sony OLED versus what LG does. Sony is so careful about their video processing. They really go out of their way in their picture presets to provide at least one that is as true to the intent as possible and more so than just about any other TV manufacturer out there. Off the top of my head, I can't think of another manufacturer that does it better than Sony in terms of that out-of-the-box yeah. calibration quality. It is truly something to behold that I don't experience on any other brand unless you, unless you work at it quite hard. <laughs> It's uh, it's a pretty impressive deal. The 65 inch is still at twenty three hundred dollars. Um, to put you know, it's it's uh, it's. Uh, I wish they had a similar discount on the 65 inch version. That's all I'm going to say. But if you're looking for a 55 inch TV, many many moons ago, I once paid uh, more than that for a 46 inch LCD. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Speaking of Sony, uh, 
big announcement this week. Sony plans to release 40 podcasts this year. Apparently, they're working on 100 programs. Uh, the uh, global head of Sony Music Digital said, we have a broad strategy and we want to be in every genre. We feel like we have a great story and want to be attracting advertisers. Mostly, I think it's that attracting advertisers part. Spotify, of course, kind of leading the way on this in terms of high-end investments. Ad revenue on podcasts is up 48% last year, according to Edison Research. That would be a fat $708 billion annually, which is what... Uh, uh, well, first of all, I think that number is inaccurate. Uh, I don't think there is $708 billion being invested in podcast advertising. I do believe that ad revenue is up severely. So we'll see if I can find some more detail on that. But uh, No doubt. There will be more podcasts from a lot of high-end writers and musical artists, directors. I'm kind of curious to see what it does because, you know, there are people who normally might not have any interest in a podcast, but if Sony's suddenly bankrolling them, podcasts become on the radar and it could lead to some great listening. I'm curious to hear them because my last Bose earbud experience was so atrocious, uh, which is hardly a uh, endorsement, but <laughs> you know, Bose announced new earbuds, 279 for the quiet comfort, 179 for their sport earbuds. Uh, the thing I like most about this is they're bringing uh, adjustable levels of noise cancellation uh, on the quiet comfort, 11 levels. If you are interested in, in noise cancellation, but you find that whole ear suck on devices like the high-end Bose or, or Sony's uh, high-end noise canceling headphones too much. And if you've never experienced ear suck, it's really unpleasant. It doesn't happen so much with steady noises, but if you are, for example, commuting on a bus and the bus hits a bump, that bump can cause the noise cancellation to dial up to 11, if you will, for the moment that the bus is dealing with the big crashy noise from the axles. And the end result is uh, the feeling uh, as if your earbuds are being vacuumed out of your ear canals uh, and into the headphones. It is unpleasant. So being able to dial that back to something that is more pleasant uh, or being able to dial it back so you're just not dealing with the sensation that some people have, myself included, that uh, your skull is about to collapse from the uh, noise cancellation could be really, really nice. Pre-orders are now. This is shipping uh, September 29th. Again, curious to hear them because I'll be honest with you, the last time I used some Bose earbuds, which was probably three or four years ago, A, they were great for making the jet noise disappear in a significant way. They were fantastic. I enjoy listening to audiobooks on them. As soon as I played music, it was offensive how bad <laughs> they were. It was just really tremendously disappointing. Uh, my understanding is that... Well, it was just, it was a common, it was just everything, everything was wrong. Uh, it was, it was the, one of the least neutral headphone experiences I'd had. And it wasn't a particularly, it was just bad. I'll just put it that way. And uh, so bad that literally I could not enjoy my favorite musical selections. So I either read quietly with the noise cancelization on or listened to audiobooks for the remainder of the flight. It was unpleasant. I'm grateful for people like you doing these reviews because Bose is not a brand I even consider. It's not even in my top whatever. But but hearing stories like these, it, yeah, it, it well, really keeps it just out of my consideration personally. They're they're hugely popular. I mean, the, I their home theater stuff is is atrocious. The reason they're so popular for noise cancellation is not just because they are a fantastic market company, but because they have some really amazing patents on technology that does some really amazing work, uh, especially in the frequencies, the deeper frequencies that are associated with jet travel. 
and that's that's you know uh, if I can find something that that does a better job and sounds better and costs less uh, <coughs> uh, Sony 910 uh, I will keep sharing that with you <laughs> If you are in search of all of the noise cancelization, or for example, an acquaintance of mine worked in a knock uh, where he was surrounded by literally hundreds of server racks, all with fans that were all blasting at 100%, plus the AC on top of that, uh, having full-time noise cancelization was the difference between him having permanent hear damage, hearing damage, because he was in this place 8 to 12 hours a day, and him not having permanent hearing damage. So if I can help him find something that you know dials back the noise, but gives them a better experience. I am all for that. Very cool. Apple TV app is now available on Vizio TVs. Uh, you will be able to subscribe to Apple TV Plus if you want. Uh, so that means Apple's app is now on Roku, Amazon Fire TVs, TVs from LG and Samsung, and of course, uh, TCL TVs with Roku. If you've never had the Apple TV Plus experience, uh, you can try that on your Vizio television with a three-month free trial. I'll add to and, that that I saw some recent updates for at least LG OLEDs and probably the other LG Premium LCD televisions as well. Well, going as far back as 2018, that adds AirPlay 2 support. In addition to Apple TV, they actually backported some apps people had been waiting for and wanting. I received these on my C9 model a little while ago, and it shipped with like things like Disney Plus and whatnot. But for the folks who bought in to LG's tech back in 2018, do check your updates and see what's changed. And you might be surprised to have access to some new apps on their otherwise horrible app platform. <laughs> it is harsh, but fair. Oh, all these TVs suck in terms of how they have these built-in app systems compared to something like a Roku or probably even Amazon Fire TV, which I'm personally not a big fan of either. But still, yeah. 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 The other device that everyone that I know that owns one still loves it, even years down the road, is the... NVIDIA Shield products. So if you have one of those two and you've forgotten about it, you may already have something that's better than what's built into most of the TVs out there today. And I will <laughs> Just buy a Roku or an Apple TV or a Shield. Yeah. You know what? I always have to remember Apple TV too, although that's not my, my market as well. But still, that would, be, <laughs> that would be better than what's built into most TVs. On a less cheerful note, Diana Rigg has passed the star of the Avengers. That's the mod British TV duo. She was Mrs. Peel, uh, which was, uh, if you enjoy, you know, snappy repartee and cat suits, it's a phenomenal experience, uh, especially if you like uh, vintage British sporting mobiles, uh, automobiles that have tea dispensers in the dashboard. Uh, if you've never seen it, it's peculiar and wonderful in a lot of ways. More recently, uh, she absolutely crushed it as Leda Oleana Tyrell on Game of Thrones, truly one of the great badasses of the entire series. Uh, and in between, there were dozens of spectacular performances. She was 82 years old. We will miss her passing. Shifting gears dramatically and somewhat abruptly, possibly with a bit of grinding the clutch, we got an email from Neil who's on a projector hunt. He says, I've got a 1080p Epson Powerlite 8350 that I've been rocking for a number of years, and I'm looking for an upgrade. The rainbow effect hits me hard, so I need to stick with LCD, and I found the Epson, who seems to be the only LCD-based projector manufacturer these days, 3800 and 5050 UV. They both seem to fit the bill. They support 4K at 60 hertz with HDR and are relatively quiet, but I'm curious what you think of either. The 3800 is smaller and much cheaper and has a $99 MSRP bulb, but the 5050 UV appears to have around 10 times the contrast ratio. Any thoughts you have would be appreciated. 
Thanks, Neil. So both of these are uh, 4K in the FAUXK sense. They're 1080p LCD projectors that they pixel shift to get the 4K resolution. Epson did some pretty phenomenal engineering before this last round of 4K projectors, and, and they look spectacular. And I've sat in rooms with people who are incredibly high maintenance, and nobody said basically any of the sort of smearing or delay issues from earlier pixel shift projectors they don't particularly seem to be visual in any meaningful way on these they look fantastic the 3800 is rated at 3000 lumens the 5050 ub is rated at 2600 lumens um, they're talking about up to a 300 inch screen for the 3800 and about a 220 inch screen for the 5050 ub which sounds like a big deal but not a whole lot of us have rooms for 220 inch much less 300 inch screens in our homes the 3800 was selling for as little as $1,500 earlier this year, which is a pretty fantastic price. It was around $1,700 at the end of 2019. It has unfortunately been selling for uh, literally $2,300 period since July. I wow. haven't seen the prices change much. The 5050UB is selling for $2,600 right now. It launched at $3,000 and has pretty much bounced between $2,700 and $3,000 since it shipped. There's a lot of things that uh, go into the additional price on the 5050 UB. It has powered zoom, focus, and lens shift, i.e. it's got motorized lenses with memory. It has a significantly better lens. It has full DCI-P3 coverage. And as you noticed, it's got a much higher contrast ratio. Uh, you know, is it a million to one? Probably not. Depends on how you measure it. It does definitely deliver uh, more contrast and deeper blacks than the 3800. As you pointed out, they're both LCD chip displays, uh, both support HDR10. The UB in that 5050UB's name, it does actually stand for ultra black, and that amounts to a collection of polarizing filters that are supposed to focus the light, reduce stray light uh, in the projector, and as, you know make the native blacks and contrast better. Personally, I'm all for the 5050UB, but I'm all about movies and television shows, and I have a very dark viewing room where I can take advantage of pretty much all of the HDR awesomeness this can deliver. If your room is bright and you have tons of ambient light or you're looking at stuff where the enhanced sharpness of the optics uh, or you don't want to deal with tuning the 5500 settings, the 3800 seems interesting, but I'll be honest with you, for the $300 delta right now between the 3800 and the 5050, I would get the 5050. You might want to take a look at the 3200, which is essentially a 3800 minus the 12-volt trigger, the RS-232 port, and the speakers. It's also got less contrast, which I think is a bad idea for anybody going to 4K but it's also selling for like 1300 bucks right now. JVS and Sony LCOS based projectors are going to deliver deeper blacks, but they're going to cost quite a bit more money. I'm going to say I think a JVC NX5 is uh, somewhere in the $6,000 range right now, which is roughly double the cost of a 5050UB, but it's also delivering an unbelievable uh, HDR experience if you have the room to support it. If it was $1,700... $1,500, I can see where the 3800 might be a better choice. Uh, if you can swing the extra $300 for a 5050UB, I think that's the one I'd go for. Um, True. Exactly. And one nice thing is that Epson for both of these projectors includes very useful functionality for things like horizontal yeah. and vertical lens shift to make your placement easier. You get a wider range, of course, with the more expensive projector. However, and it's all manual on the 3800. At least on the Epson website right now, they are listing it at $1,400. And you can add hmm. it to your cart right now for the 3800. Really? But I, 
for long-term enjoyment, I would much rather have the UB model. And at this point, I guess this year is the 50-50. But I've been dealing with the 5000 series Epson projectors for decades, it seems anyway. <laughs> and I remember that that UB really does help. If you've got the room that is light controlled, you are able then to produce more contrasted imagery. You're going to have a wider color palette with that DCI P3 color support. Having motorized controls for the lens is awfully nice for setup and optimization. On the 3800, it's a little more manual. You're twisting dials right on the projector itself. But yeah, once you get it right, it's going to be great. But if you're even thinking of doing more than one screen aspect ratio or anything like that, that's where I would still lean toward and save my pennies to get that 50-50 UB right now. It sounds like a delightful option at a decent price, especially when we were just talking about, you know, 10, 20, $100,000 projectors trying to right. do very similar things with more expensive technologies. But still, that's a, <laughs> it's a good deal. The longer you wait, the more you get for less money, generally speaking. Yep. Uh, and if you are affected by rainbow artifacts from DLP-based systems, LCD does eliminate that. One thing you have to do, and you can do this using the built-in test patterns on these projectors, is to make sure the convergence of the red, the blue, and the green LCDs are all aligned as good as possible. Because <laughs> they usually are one or two pixels off right out of the box. Maybe that's a delivery thing. Eh, usually not that much, but a little bit. And at least those controls are built right in where you can get that just looking right. So everything punches where it should. I really want to see one of these in person now. And actually, I got to check my email. Actually, I might be working on one of these real soon. So, aha, a couple new projectors I'm working on. Yay, new projectors. The other thing, though, too, is I'm curious about what the 5050 UB lamp modules cost. Because that, another thing, depending on how much you're using in this, 99 bucks for a lamp is a great price. I would I'd probably buy two yeah. or three of them right from the manufacturer. So that is the consumables cost when you talk about projection systems. I used to use the UBE models that Epson made where they had wireless HDMI connectors, basically a small hub that you plug into the wall and then it beams that signal right to the projector, making certain installation scenarios even easier. Another thing to consider. We shall find out someday. Also good. Yes, we shall. We got a message from Evan on patreon.com slash AVXL. And if you're not, if you're not a patron please consider becoming a patron on uh, patreon.com slash AVXL. You contribute a small amount of money per month. You get some extra features. At higher levels, you get to do a hangout with Robert and I. We'll have a date for our September hangout in the near future. But please go check out patreon.com slash AVXL. And if you can, help support the show. Evan says, how does one move a big TV properly? My 85-inch TV is great, but we may be moving, and I'm not sure how to do that safely. The box was just too big to store. And I say this uh, humorously, my tongue firmly in my cheek. Uh, the number one thing to do is to move it carefully. I personally would put a new or freshly washed fleece blanket. I would tape that over the front of the screen. I would tape cardboard or preferably plywood over that. I would then uh, wrap the whole mess in blankets, tape the blankets on, and store it vertically during the move. Your television is not designed to support the screen particularly well laid flat. 
and that is the way you are most likely to crack the screen. If you load it into a moving truck, make sure nothing is pressing against the screen side at all. If you cut a sheet of plywood to fit over the front of the screen, I wouldn't worry about it so much, but if you have cardboard, I would be a little uptight about that because uh, over time, if you drive 50 or 100 or 1,000 miles, if things shift, if uh, something when is... When they shift. <laughs> when they shift. Uh, you know, invariably, if something, yeah, if something shifts inside of the big box, you're driving on wheels it will invariably press in a way that it puts more pressure on one particular spot probably in the center of your your screen even a minor bit of movement for a thousand miles can create scuffing or abrasions on the screen if anything's poking into that cardboard you can generally assume that if the move is long enough it will go through that cardboard or at the very least damage uh, a spot on your screen so fresh fleece tape that in place uh some kind of you know the stiffest cardboard or or cut to fit plywood you can essentially want to prevent any kind of pressure on the front of the screen and you want to give some additional structural rigidity to the frame itself and if it's a w model from uh, lg uh I can't imagine a bigger nightmare to move, oh. but I would literally go out and buy a three-quarter inch sheet of plywood, mount it to that, uh, and then, you know, you know, uh, that, go from that there. That might be the safest way to do it, <laughs> is just physically wall mount that sucker to a piece of wood. That can then the whole thing, I, I would almost hire someone, depending on the expense of this TV, it's right. just like 85 inches is huge, too. My local yeah. shipping folks all sell TV boxes. With padding and things like that for generally things smaller than, say, a 65, I think, was the last big one I saw they had. But if you have a 65 right. or a 55 or something like that, you can pick up affordable shipping kits for those. But like you said, yeah, it's all about having pressure against the screen side. Assume everything's going to shift during transport and do what you can to keep that screen side from receiving anything into it. That will give you your best chance and keep it upright while you're at it. Yeah, do not store it flat. Do not transport it flat. Everything will be fine until you try to transport it flat, and then terrible things will happen. I exaggerate I've slightly. done short trips with the screen right. face down on a soft thing, but that was, you know, True. we're going like 20 miles, and we made sure not to, you know, go four-wheeling off-road or anything like that with it in the back. <laughs> so we have no idea how far this person's moving or is it going to... Right. Are you going to use a pod where you're just going to shove everything inside of something? That's where you really, you know, things will yeah. shift in transport. And that's just never, the, uh... <laughs> never put the imps. In, yeah. You know, I, I've, I've, uh, I would also say if you have like mattresses, once you've properly wrapped and protected the screen, put it between a box frame and a mattress or something like that, just, uh, you know, take your time overkill is not a bad idea and if you could put a piece of foam if it's still on its original stand and you're going to leave it on the stand while it's in transport i would try to put it on something a little padded as well for the shocks in the vertical direction True. just to help so you're not cracking a stand or or worse the frame on the tv or something it's easy to replace a tv stand it might not be the exact same thing but you can at least buy affordable right. new stands for any tv pretty much but <laughs> The screen and the electronics and everything like that, yeah, it's a tough one. Nobody wants the screen to break. That's all we're saying. Michael's looking to add Atmos, and he needs wireless if possible, and he would prefer up-firing height speakers. He messaged us also on patreon.com slash avxl. 
as far as affordable, he writes $1,000 to $1,700 will work for me. I thought the new Vizio Elevate system coming out this fall looks really good, but should I wait for it? It has DTS Virtual X. Does that matter? Well, there's a lot of things going on there. One, for $1,700, you could buy an entry-level AVR. Denon makes a nice one that is two channels and will support two down-firing or up-firing Atmos channels. It'll, it'll support two Atmos channels. And you can get a decent set of speakers. Uh, there's a great set of Polks they recommend on the wire cutter. Uh, my beloved E-Black Debut 2.0s are also an excellent option. The Elevate sounds really interesting. No one's seen a shipping version yet, so we don't know what it sounds like uh, in the real world. As far as uh, DTS Virtual X, which is essentially, if my understanding is correct, it's uh, SRS's surround sound that was purchased by DTX or DTS or uh, you know essentially DTS has taken a, a a sound expansion system and you know if you can do speakers four channels above you is best two channels above you is next best two channels bouncing against the ceiling is next best and then you have the totally virtual stuff the Vizio Elevate has a lot of potential because it has literally two motorized speakers that will if there's at most vertical channels available will angle that towards the ceiling and bounce it off the ceiling to you I haven't heard it so I can't really comment on that we're going to reach out to Vizio and see if we can get one in for review for when those ship but we're really really curious to hear that because also because if you don't have at most information it, it spins those things down and faces them out towards you to enhance the surround sound effect in terms of the dts virtual stuff ask me after i've actually had a chance to hear it as much as i appreciate a soundbar i have run into so many issues of late regarding audio sync having the sync not be correct on a tv and being mm-hmm. uncorrectable I've seen this across just about every brand. It seems hit or miss. Sometimes it either works perfect or it is just unwatchable in terms of having the video motion you see on the screen not syncing up properly. I'm not even seeing it fixed with things like eARC. That should have fixed it. I've come to a middle with my love of soundbars. <laughs> things I never had an issue with in terms of AV receivers. I am now experiencing with soundbars, and at this price point, granted, the soundbar is going to be an easier thing to do for 1000 to $1,700, but I am less infatuated with soundbars than I was, say, a month ago. <laughs> it's just the hit or miss nature of it, and is no matter what I buy, I would definitely pay attention to things like that in terms of any potential sync issues you have. Can they be corrected? And if not, and it's going to drive you crazy, just return it and go for something else. <laughs> Make sure you have that option it's always nice to be able to return things that make you suffer martin also has some atmos questions he's upgrading his 5.1 system and he emailed ask at avxl.com and by the way let me just say it right now he he noted that he cannot cut into his ceiling this is a three-part question he says one how much better would small high wall speakers be for atmos and dtsx than a new higher end avr with virtualization personally i i again i'm waiting to hear for spectacular virtual height channels from an avr but right now uh, i would say small high wall mounted speakers would be a much better choice over virtual Atmos uh, from an AVR. When he says high wall Atmos or high wall mounting, essentially, if you can't mount them above you on the ceiling or cut into the ceiling, the idea is that you put them up on the side walls as close to the ceiling as you can get and have them radiate in from the sides. Martin says, it looks like DTSX has dialogue as an object, but I don't see that in Atmos. Is that right? Is DTSX better for enhancing dialogue? Everything in Atmos 
is a discrete object. That's one of the advantages Atmos has for certain production processes, where because the dialogue is on discrete channels, it makes remixing the uh, content for different languages super, super easy because you just swap out the channel uh, you know, with English for whatever other language you're working on. The thing that has set DTSX or DTSX tried to kind of set itself apart a little bit is that they, if the person mixing sound in DTX labels channels with dialogue and turns on the ability in the final distributed version, you might be able to raise the dialogue channels volume up separately from the rest of the channels. I haven't had a DTSX experience where I could test that. There's a whole lot of dialogue enhancing options available and a whole lot of AVRs out there. Everything in Atmos uh, is going to be or can be a discrete object that moves in 3D space. Uh, that DTSX is a was, fun thing to watch is somebody in a yeah. Atmos studio doing the production and watching yeah. them play with position of sounds within a scene. Yeah. It is a fascinating workflow, yeah. to say the least. And and I will I, I should also point out right now, I have done some work as a contractor for for a contractor working for Dolby. But, you know, let me assure you that, you know, the, there's a lot of, you know, I'm, I'm waiting to hear a DTSX that will actually allow me to specifically tune up the dialogue on uh, manually or, or turn up the, set it up so I can turn the dialogue up. I think it's a fantastic thing, especially as more and more people who are older and older are trying harder and harder to actually hear what's going on the screen. We've had enough questions about people wanting to simulcast for a member of their family that wants the volume turned up to 11. There's a lot of variables in that chain when you look at uh, a lot of the writing on that. So Martin also says part three, wait for the Yamaha AVRs, hoping for an improved virtualization or go with recent uh, Denon or Marantz AVRs. You can wait for the Yamaha AVRs. Can you hear the Yamaha AVR in an AB test where you are comparing two or four Atmos channels versus the virtualization? Okay, that sounds cool. Right now, uh, an entry-level two-channel Atmos from Denon is incredibly affordable. I, I, the word virtualization puts a taste in my mouth that I don't appreciate, and I'm not. What I'm not going to recommend that. I've heard sound bars do it better than something that's. If you're using two speakers to create, you know, a five-one experience or a height channel experience, no. Why go down that route? <laughs> yeah. In theory, the only difference between virtual speakers and real height speakers is the lack of height speakers. In reality, you probably want height speakers. Or some decent upfiring ones if you truly can't yeah. either mount the speakers high or... Yeah. Well, those are height speakers. They're just bouncing instead of directly radiating. True. <laughs> been thinking a lot about speakers lately because I have a much larger room and my home theater speakers are essentially trapped in California and uh, thanks to Craigslist I, I picked up a pair of Golden Ear Triton 2 Pluses for you know not much money uh, compared to what they sell for new Golden Ear not overrated I just want to say that flat out nice and I'm in the process of of you know stringing the spaghetti for four overhead Atmos channels right now which is always fun We've said this before, but almost any soundbar or stereo speakers or soundbar plus surrounds or best of all, a full AVR and speaker surround system is a ridiculous step up from the speakers inside your TV. I was thinking about this a lot because, you know, I went from the speakers inside a TCL TV, which were fine. You know, they're, they're stereo yeah. they're in the thing. It was, you know, we were in an Airstream. It was a big step up from, you know, looking at a 10 inch tablet. And then I fired up the Mandalorian with these new tower speakers speakers so much detail in the soundtrack was completely lost by the speakers in the tv it was 
it was crazy. Uh, and this is, I'm not even running an AVR with a center channel yet. I've been using a Sonos amp, which is a pretty spectacular uh, piece of kit. It's fun as I sort of go from, you know, just from it, just having two speakers that are dedicated speakers doing the soundtracks is a huge step up and bringing a center channel on board is a huge step up, especially for having difficulties making out dialogue in television shows or movies. I had an older LCD television that I recently replaced yeah. with the C9 OLED and that television I had before was a larger screen and it had the worst sounding speakers. I was either <laughs> constantly using closed captioning or turning it up to ridiculous levels that never really seem to improve the vocal quality or the quality of voices in terms of spoken speech. I will say that LG did a really good job on, uh, the, I haven't listened to the C10 yet, at least through True. its own speakers, but I can I can tell you right now, the C9 is uh, comparatively just so much better than other TV speakers I've heard. They're not going to deliver, you know, earth shattering bass or anything like that, but the options in terms of how you want to listen to it, or do you need some uh, voice right. clarification or uh, to make it easier to understand, or do you just want to run it to your wireless headphones or whatever? That works pretty well, without a doubt. Just having a sound bar on the TV did a lot in terms of what's going on right now. I happen to be using a Sonos soundbar at the moment. Its ability to do like voice enhancement and things like that is fantastic if you need it. It really does improve the clarity of spoken word. And for movies, in this case, I'm using the Arc that has that support for Dolby Atmos as well with its mm -hmm. up-firing speakers. And I find that presentation is quite impressive when it's going on. And The Mandalorian is exactly the kind of content I love driving through a system like that, along with <laughs> along with the 4K Ultra HD Blu-rays too. But heck yeah. Yeah. It's, Sound it's, is uh... completely underrated for a lot of people, or they don't consider it as much as... I wish they would. And granted, a lot of folks just you got to get the video going first to sure. to satisfy the majority of the household. And then you can then you can start plotting your audio experience. But yeah, don't forget it. It can be really amazing. What an upgrade. Uh, what an, it, just how much it adds to the experience. Said it before. We'll say it again. Just wanted to throw that out one more time. Do us a favor, if you have a question for us, email ask at avxl.com. Uh, we love to talk about what you want us to talk about because we want you to listen to the show. And do us a favor, if you get a chance, tell your friends about AVXL because we'd like to grow the audience. And as we mentioned earlier, if you think we're helping you out, if we're doing a good job, please go to patreon.com slash avxl and become a patron. Chip in a couple dollars a month to help us keep bringing this content to you. With that, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Patrick Norton. Hey, I am Robert Heron. We'll catch you next week on AVXL. Do 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 do.